This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Thanks for tuning in today. And we are going to keep on marching through the Gospel of John. If you've been listening to the show, we've just kind of been doing an overview, pretty much going chapter by chapter with a couple of exceptions here or there. And uh, just doing an overview, very high level of this amazing gospel, this account of Jesus' life. I just, I love John. Everybody loves John. Who doesn't love the gospel of John? I don't know. You're crazy if you don't. Okay. Anyway, we are in John 12 today. And so this is pretty much a a follow-on from chapter 11. We probably could have taken part of chapter 12 with chapter 11, but that's not how I did it. So here we are in John 12 and these first few verses follow up on what we saw in John 11, which was the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus had died. Jesus knew he was going to die, came, showed his deity, showed his power, showed his compassion in raising Lazarus from the dead back in John chapter 11. So here we are, chapter 12, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, so a few things here in these first eight verses. Um, First of all, what I think is so interesting is just the interconnection here between gospel accounts. So if you remember from Luke chapter 10, we have the story of Mary and Martha that we're all very familiar with, especially because we're ladies. And so that's one of the stories that we're allowed to talk about in the Bible, right? Because our Bible is truncated to only talk about those things that matter to women, right? I'm rolling my eyes as I say that, so don't email me. Okay. Um, But you remember that story of Mary and Martha, and Martha's very busy working and serving, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, learning from her teacher, from her Savior. And we, we see similarities here. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at table, and Mary is the one anointing Jesus here in this story. So that's very interesting. They're very true to themselves, to their own characteristics, these characteristics that we see woven throughout the gospel accounts. And so um, that just brings validity and um, just a a genuineness to these very real historic narratives. What I also think is interesting in these few verses is this backstory on Judas. You know, so we know that Judas is going to betray Jesus. We know all of those nefarious things about him. And we also see John telling us 
look, Judas didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He had charge of the money bag and he was swiping from it. And so it just gives us more insight into this man who followed Jesus, walked with Jesus for three years. It's astonishing. And then we move on to the next couple of verses where we see that the chief priests are planning to kill Lazarus because on account of Lazarus being raised by Jesus, people are turning to Christ. They're believing in him, and that's a major threat, and that's a major no-no. And so now, well, we have to kill Lazarus too because, you know, the snowball keeps rolling. We have to make it stop. And then we get into Holy Week, Passion Week, if you will. Um, this week leading up to what we know as Easter, uh, and we start to see, and you know, we're in John chapter 12. You know, think about that. The majority of John's gospel really is dedicated to these last few days of Jesus' life, and I think that's fascinating. So verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And we're seeing fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus has been doing this his entire life, right? And now he's fulfilling this prophecy that we see in Zechariah 9. And we start to see all of these prophecies coming true. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And John's going back and giving us some of this backstory, explaining to us, saying, we didn't get it. You know, we were right there and we didn't get it because we're dense guys. But if you think to forward to the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus kept them from recognizing him. And then Jesus explained how the Old Testament all pointed to him. And later in John 14, we're going to see in just a couple of chapters how Jesus explains to the disciples that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send this helper to them. And the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate the scriptures for them. Even the scriptures that hadn't yet been written when John was writing. The helper will bring these things to remembrance. In fact, let's just turn very quickly. We'll get there in a couple episodes. But John 14, uh, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so we're kind of seeing that here. John's saying we didn't understand this, but after Jesus was glorified, implying, you know, then we have the Holy Spirit imparted, and then we remember this, and we remembered everything that had been written about him, and we finally, a light bulb, we finally understood. All right, jumping ahead, ladies, to verse 20, another little portion, a little um, story, mini story that I love. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Although, side note, I'm in the ESV, and that's not really a question. They asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's more of a statement. Anyhow, 
Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever, loses, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here we have these Greeks coming up. They've heard about Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. And this is just another of many, many illusions throughout Scripture, not even illusions, bold statements. Jesus has come for all people. You know, he's not there just to save Israel, national Israel proper. His kingdom is of all nations. The children of Abraham, Abraham is the father of many nations. It's a whole other teaching, but we see it here. We see that that interest. We see Jesus drawing people outside of the nation of Israel to himself here in these Greeks coming to him. So we see this during his early, earthly ministry and this expansion of his kingdom. And there's some questions I wish I could answer here about these Greeks. You know, how many were there? Uh, who were they? What, how did they hear about Jesus? What caused them to come? So many questions that we can't answer unless we just make stuff up, but we won't do that today. But in Jesus' words, which seems an odd response maybe, um, but Jesus is essentially saying death is the way to spiritual life. You know, a grain of wheat has fallen to the ground and then, then it will bear much fruit. And this is the true nature of Christ's kingdom. J.C. Ryle says about these verses, Truths such as these should sink deeply into our hearts and stir up self-inquiry. Truths such as these should sink deeply into our hearts and stir up self-inquiry. Or inquiry, however you want to say it. It is as true of Christians as it is of Christ. There can be no life without death. There can be no sweet without bitter. There can be no crown without a cross. Without Christ's death, there would have been no life for the world. Unless we are willing to die to sin and crucify all that is most dear to flesh and blood, we cannot expect any benefit from Christ's death. Let us remember these things and take up our cross daily like men and women, I'm adding that, and remember that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's just remember that. Ryle continues, Let us, for the joy set before us, endure the cross and despise the shame, and in the end we shall sit down with our Master at God's right hand. The way of self-crucifixion and sanctification may seem foolishness and waste to the world, just as burying good seed corn seems waste to the child and the fool. But there never lived the man who did not find that by sowing to the Spirit, he reaped life everlasting. Again, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. It's not about pulling up your own spiritual bootstraps. God gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit to aid us in this Christian life. We cannot do it without God. Okay, moving on, verses 27 to 36, Jesus is still talking. So most of our Bibles kind of split up these paragraphs, but Jesus is still talking. He's saying, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. 
Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Imagine being there and hearing Jesus saying these things. How intense must that have been? And he goes, or the story goes on. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Here we go back to this theme of light and dark, and John keeps returning to this, making the point that Jesus is the light of the world. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So again, we see prophecy being fulfilled in the people's unbelief, which is an interesting fulfillment of prophecy. And then verse 42, he has this familiar fear of man uh, for fear of being put out of the synagogue. But remember that even this can be forgiven. God can restore our courage in him. And as we move on quickly, ladies, to finish this chapter, verses 44 to 50, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, back to this theme of light. Jesus is the light that is in the world. The darkness will not overcome it. The darkness hates the light. We've heard all of this before. So Jesus is reaffirming his deity here. And so Holy Week begins here in John 12. We're a long way off uh, for between the original airing of this episode and the next celebration of Holy Week, but these passages are not reserved for one week each spring. These are passages for us to study and learn and live from every single day of the year. Okay, ladies, as an endorsement for today, I'm going to recommend to you the book by Sinclair Ferguson titled Devoted to God. So when I first had this book in my possession, I was actually coming out of a very legalistic environment and I saw the title and you know read the little blurbs about it and I thought, no, I can't, I, I can't handle this right now. So I was hesitant to read it and I waited. I held on to it for probably a good year before I picked it up and read it not remembering that Sinclair Ferguson is not a legalistic teacher by any stretch of the imagination. So when I finally opened it up and read it, I was so blessed and so edified by this book. And so I think you'll really enjoy it. It's been a while since I've read it now, um, probably a year or two. So 
Um, but trust me, it was a fantastic book. So I highly recommend that to you today. He's, uh, Ferguson is like the opposite of, um, Christless legalism in the very, very best way. It was very Christ-centered and a very wonderful book. So as a parting thought, ladies, I want you to consider, I want us to consider, how do the truths of Jesus' teachings here, I mean, we see so much that Jesus is saying to the crowd and to his disciples here in these verses, how do these teachings infiltrate our daily life, not just our lives on Palm Sunday when we hear a sermon from this passage? So think on that. Think of all the truths that are contained in this, these verses and how do they infiltrate our daily lives. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.